Good morning. Now I'm on. My microphone, anyway. All right, in the new year, I challenge people who have never sat in the front row to come on down. Otherwise, I'm going to come to you. And if you're at home, I don't know, maybe I'll just get closer to the camera and get right up there. Uh, my name is Sandy Asker. That was my husband, Brian. Uh, my son, Elam, is running something back there. Tobiah is in Sunday school, and Callista is working at the nursery. So uh, the Asker Five are so glad that you're here today. And I'm reminded as the kids are dancing over here and cutting a rug and people are taking care of crying babies back there that I hope that in the midst of the chaos that you feel like you can find a safe place. If you got to leave early, if you come late, I just hope that you feel like this is where you can be today. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, and then we are starting a new series today called The Beloved Community. So, I don't know about you, but I love a good book. I am a Jane Austen fan, and I love reading about their elaborate meals and dresses and how they did their hair. Even though I try to be fairly low maintenance, I like reading about people who are high maintenance. I love talking about tea and then they would eat dinner really, really late, and then they would dance until the wee hours. They would sleep in. I think I could have been part of that. Uh, Jane Austen wrote at the end of the 18th century in England, and I am actually 50% English, so I feel like I'm getting back to my roots when I read about Jane Austen. I am afraid, however, that if I were part of the day, and let's say I was one of many daughters in an aristocrat or some sort of like wealthy family, I would have been just like one of the Jane Austen's heroines who would just have been happy if I could have found a rich man with a good inheritance. I'm just being honest. Because that's, I mean, that's what she wrote about. Everyone ended up getting married to somebody rich, right? And if they did get married to somebody poor, their sister had married somebody rich, and so it was all going to work out. What historical settings do you enjoy? Do you think, man, I would love to go back in time and relive? Maybe it's Abraham Lincoln and Civil War times and trying to figure out American history. Maybe it's overseas in the French Revolution. That's a pretty hot time. Maybe it's even farther back and farther south in like the jungles of South Africa the rainforests, the indigenous people before anybody had ever connected with them. Or maybe you really want to go remote and go to like the Galapagos Islands before any human being had touched foot on it. Now when you think about going back in time, do you ever think about some of the conflicts, some of the choices for sides? And do you ever think, man, would I have been on the right side or would I have followed the crowd? So, Civil War times, which side would you have fought for? If you were in France or England, who would you have cheered for? If you were in the French Revolution, if you were in the jungles of South Africa, I don't know if there was a right or wrong side before other people from the outside stepped foot, would you have been a tortoise fan on the Galapagos Islands, or would you have been like a bird fan? I don't know. We are in a historic time here in Mankato. It's 2023. Can you believe that? We have an opportunity to make our mark. It's the new year, even though we're eight days into it. It sort of feels like maybe this is belated, but it's still the new year. It's still fresh. We still have time to make decisions. We are still <coughs> coming out of a pandemic. It feels like maybe it's coming back a little bit. I've been reading about higher education 
the cost of higher education in the last 30 years in my lifetime has increased 200%. Less and less of our country identifies as religious. In the summer of 2020, after George Floyd was murdered, it is estimated that that was the most number ever in the United States who protested. How will we respond to this day and age? Are we just going to like go with the flow and do what's popular? Are we going to stick with people who agree with us and just stay with what we believe? Or are we going to ask God, as disciples, as learners, as followers of Jesus, what is our role in this world, in this historic time, in Mankato, or if you live in a surrounding village, forgive me. Our denomination is the Evangelical Covenant Church. When you look at our website, it will tell you right off. I mean, it's just, it actually is in really big letters. We are committing to advancing the mission of God through the multi-ethnic mosaic of churches. We are a part of that, Rosa Parks and Howard Drive. We celebrate the diversity of the mosaic of God's people and churches and seek to reach the entirety of this diverse mission field. We also seek to unify the church by breaking down dividing walls through biblical justice. And we are going to attempt to walk through a series this month called Beloved Community, and we'll talk more about that. Here at Crossview Rosa Parks, maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, we were planted almost three years ago to plant a church on this side of town, Howard Drive is in North Mankato, so that we could reach the increasingly diverse population of Mankato. I'm no longer going to say the east side because technically that's North Mankato and we are Mankato. I'm learning. There are still people who live who do not know how much God loves them. And we want to connect them to Jesus and Jesus to their world. So there's a book that we've just come in contact with. It's just been published called Becoming Color, a Color Courageous Disciple. And it's based on a woman called Michelle Sanchez. And she is actually going to be speaking for Howard Drive in person next week. And we are hopefully, by the grace of God, going to live stream it here. I've read this whole book. I have marked it up like crazy. I was going to bring it, but I, Brian, I don't know where it is. It has like flags all over it because that's how I engage with books. It's really, really helpful. We hope that this series is going to equip. Yes, I hope it's going to challenge you, but I also hope it'll inspire all of us to develop awareness, understanding, and action to join God in his mission to heal a broken world when it comes to race. And I hope that as I'm saying this, and maybe you're feeling like, oh no, what is she going to say? Depending on where you're at in the journey, I hope that you will, because you're in this room, take the position of a learner. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's okay. I still challenge you to be a learner. If you do say you follow Jesus, that makes you a disciple, and that means that you are a learner. So if you've heard this all before, if you feel like you've read all the books, if you've taken all the classes, or you yourself are someone who is not white and you feel like, oh yeah, I got it, I hope that you will listen and take the position of a learner. So back in the day, oh gosh, I wasn't married yet, so I was mid-20s, and I remember sitting at a conference called Urbana, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship does this missions conference about every three years, and I remember sitting at this global conference expecting to hear missionaries and talking about the gospel and people coming to know Jesus, and every speaker and every theme was about racial reconciliation. And I remember sitting there and talking to one of my white friends and saying, what is this? 
Like, where's Jesus? Where's the gospel? What are we doing? So if you feel like that today, or if you don't, or if you've had thoughts like that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. All right? You ready? All right, join me in prayer. Jesus, we need you. Whether it is a snow-packed trailer, a crying baby, COVID, stuck at home, uh, I don't know, not even sure why we're here today. We're only here because our parents brought us. Lord God, I pray that we would take the posture of a learner, that God, we would admit that we don't know everything, and God, you do, and so we have things to learn. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be opening our hearts and our minds more to what you have for us, God, because there is always, always, always going to be more. I even believe that when we get to heaven, we're not even going to get it all because we're still going to be human, and God, you are still going to be God. So in this space, Lord, in this new year, in the historic time that we are in, 2023, no matter how old, young, in between we are, Jesus, we ask for you to come and speak to us. Amen. I'm going to talk about two points today based on a sermon series that Michelle has written based on her book. So the two points will be on the screen. Number one point. I'm going to give it away so you know where I'm going so you don't have to be nervous. Point number one. God calls us to beloved community, which is a diverse community grounded in God's love. Point number two. We have made some progress toward beloved community, but we have not yet attained it. So point number one, and I'm going to spend most of my time here today. We are called to be a diverse community in God's love. Is this just a trend, or is this actually biblical? Let's talk about that. Jesus, when he was sending out the early disciples to be part of building the early church, he gave us what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 21. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. So verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. What does that mean? Disciples of all nations. Does that mean we'll have like the Irish nation and then we'll have the Tanzanians and then we'll have the Swedes. That's us. The Evangelical Covenant Church was Swedish. Then we're going to have the Japanese nation. Is that what Jesus meant? I don't think so. All the way from Genesis, when God created all things, to Revelation, we can see how God wants diversity. Not separation, not isolation even. Community and diversity. Revelation tells us that one day every tongue, tribe, tongue, and nation, did I say tongue twice? Everyone will bow the knee of Jesus. And I just don't think it's going to be like, oh, I'm Japanese. Okay, these are your seats. I just don't think it's going to be like that. It also says we are to be a diverse community grounded in God's love. You can find diverse communities all over, okay? Help yourself. We're talking about a different kind of community. One that's rooted in God's love, in his agape love. The kind of love that only God, who is love, can create and share. What is that love? It's not just Minnesota nice, which frankly sometimes is not nice. It's weird. My dad's from the South. It's different down there. It's not always super great different, but it's different. Love means someone else is involved. Now, we can talk about loving yourself another day, okay? Today I'm talking about communal 
I am loving someone else. One of the things I tell my children, my job is to teach them to get along with people who are different than they are because ain't nobody on the planet like you. So if you ever want to love anybody, you've got to figure out how to love someone who's different than you are. That is the kind of love we're talking about. The kind of love that God is, creates, shares, and mandates. God loves those who are different. Because nobody's like God, except God. Somehow in the Godhead, the Trinity, I don't know how that looks, okay? They love each other, however. They are love. And when God created humanity, it was because God loved. It was like the love spilled out and boom, there were Adam and Eve. God loves those who don't deserve it. God loves those who are broken and messy. God loves patiently and kindly, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. Now, we can have diverse community out there, or even here at Rosa Parks. I mean, look around. This is a wonderful place. If you want to come somewhere cool, come to Rosa Parks someday. It's just a really fun place to see different cultures, ethnicities. They're trying it here. You can also find loving communities out there. People at the Y, they're super friendly. Go to the grocery stores. Go to Shields. Oh my gosh, those workers are so nice. I had a really nice lady help me at Aldi the other day. Most of the time, when you go out in the world, you're going to be encouraged to love people who are easy to get along with, or honestly, who are like you. When you go to the Y, what kind of people are there? They like sweating. I don't know why that was funny. I wasn't even trying to be funny, actually. <laughs> Most of the time, they're sweating. <laughs> but they have something in common. Who cares, though? Isn't that easy? It's really easy to get along. I just met a friend recently, and we're finding we have so much in common. It's super fun and easy. But what happens when you're up against talking with someone who's not really like you, who's actually a little harder to love, who's very different, who cuts you off at the high school parking lot and has a certain bumper sticker and has a certain kind of car, and unfortunately, that kind of car cut you off the other day in the snow. Loving those who offend you. That sounds like Jesus talk, doesn't it? Matthew 5. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous speech, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I hear Jesus being a little sassy here, so forgive me. Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Meaning, everybody does that. Even if you're a rotten scoundrel, you love those who love you. And if you greet only your own people, the people who dress like you, the people who live in your neighborhood, the people who fill in the blank, what are you doing more than others? Jesus says, don't even the pagans do that? Pagan is like, not a great term here, okay? Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is the kind of love that we are called to in a diverse community. Love, in fact, is at the heart of the gospel. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. If they, if they tell you it's about sin or about judgment, I do not agree. Love is at the heart of the gospel. It is at the heart of God. Love is one of the essential, eternal characteristics of our God. Love also 
is what our eternal lives depend on. If there is no eternal agape love, we are all screwed and we might as well go to the pregame show at the bar and eat our pizza right now. Luke 10, very famous story. You have probably heard it before, the Good Samaritan. Before Jesus tells that story, it says in verse, uh, Luke 10, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This person did not have holy motivation for this conversation, okay? I looked at the Greek, it's a little confusing, but let's just say this person's probably poking Jesus, okay? An expert in the law stood up to text Jesus. Luke 10, do you have that Luke 10, 25? Maybe you don't, okay, that's fine. What is written in, I'm sorry, the, the dude says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus? Excellent conversationalist Jesus is, answers a question with a question. What's written in the law, he replies, you expert of the law. How do you read it, Jesus asks. And the teacher says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind which is the most important prayer that the Jews prayed at this time. It was called the Shema. They, like, knew this from the time they could talk. It was the first thing that they were taught when they learned how to speak and memorize scripture. And then the teacher goes one step beyond, which was not necessarily popular at the time, but it was very, very smart of him. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. So he gets, he, gets, he gets the right answer. And frankly, it's kind of surprising that he includes the neighbor part. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Okay, ding, 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 ding. Do this and you will live, Jesus says. But teacher's not happy enough. He wants to justify himself. Also kind of a confusing term. But in essence, still wanting to test Jesus, still wanting to poke. And the teacher says, well, <clears throat> who's my neighbor? As an answer, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It cuts right to the heart of Israel's racism because there's a guy, he's on the road, he gets beat up, goes in the ditch. Two very religious, well-thought-of people walk by, even go to the other side of the road, have no time. Then a Samaritan. I can just imagine when Jesus said Samaritan, all the Jews went, okay, the bad guy. The Samaritan sees and has mercy, is moved with compassion has an emotional connection with this person who's in need, picks him up, takes him to an inn, makes sure that he's cared for, pays money, promises to come back, doesn't forget the injured person. Then Jesus turns to the teacher, who is trying to trap him, and says, now tell me, who's the neighbor? Verse 37, the expert in the law says, <clears throat> the, the one <clears throat> who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. The expert is so disgusted, he can't even say the Samaritan. Can't even say it out loud. The Samaritans to this day are still hated by some full Jews. To this day, Samaritans can still make people tremble a little. 
Samaritans were formerly fully Jewish brothers and sisters, however, got displaced because of war and who knows all. They intermarried with people who were non-Jewish, and so in a sense were like half-breeds. And if you read about American history, we had names for people who were intermarried, white with non-white people. It was that kind of thing. They were avoided. After 9-11 in our country, it was anyone who looked like from the Middle East. And it was that kind of, we do not associate. We don't even say their name. This is how Jesus explains what it means to love your neighbor. And frankly, to love God. Jesus intentionally tells this story about a Samaritan. And in John 4, it talks about Jesus had to go through Samaria, shares the gospel with this woman, the woman tells everyone, everyone comes out and they have this mass revival. Most Israelites avoided even stepping foot in the country of Samaria and would add time on their travel to go around this place. I don't know who that hated group. For me, I know who it is. It's the pickup wasn't going to say it. Help me, Lord. Sorry. Sorry, if you have a big pickup, I'm so sorry. But I got to tell you, twice this week, the jacked up pickup, certain bumper stickers, certain things happening, not once, not twice, but three times cut me off in this snowstorm. And I am just praying that the Lord helps me have compassion for that certain population, okay? Just true. I wasn't planning to say it, but it just came out. So if you drive a pickup like that, come be friends with me and help me. We are called to be a diverse community in God's love. I hope some of those pickups show up next week. <laughs> but we haven't attained it yet. Amen? It is in my heart. I assume it's probably in yours. Beloved community is a friend that Reverend Dr. King penned about 1957 to describe a diverse, loving Christ and loving one another connection of people committed to the mission of God. I don't know what you know about Dr. Reverend King. Sometimes it's all about human rights. I'm telling you, if you read his stuff, you guys, there's some really good theology in it. It is amazing. I read his prayers that he wrote. It is quite moving. If that man would, was to be allowed to live, what could have happened in the church? It's very sad that he was taken from us. Reverend Dr. King wasn't just about black and white relations. It was all nations, all people. One of the things I love about being part of our denomination is that we were started by the Swedes. They spoke only Swedish in our churches until the 1950s. My mom was born in 1941, so it feels like that 1950 wasn't that long ago. We only spoke Swedish until the 1950s. We were very Swedish. If you look in our hymnals, there are still Swedish hymns. It's great. We came from Sweden. They had a revival. They came here. They were immigrants. They worked on farms because they couldn't own land. And they formed a church. But along the way, they realized, our kids are learning English. And our kids have friends who are not Swedish. And if we're going to grow as a church, we better start looking more like not just Swedes. <laughs> we need to welcome other people. Key, don't just speak Swedish at your services. After the Rodney King beatings in the 1990s, 
We decided as a denomination that our non-white brothers and sisters were grieving. And if we were to continue with our mainly white denomination not discussing certain matters like racism, we were going to leave part of our church weeping and grieving in the dust. And so certain uh, associations started within our domination, church plants in certain urban areas. There was a commitment. This didn't just happen after 2020. This wasn't just in the 2000s. I know 1990 maybe also feels like not that long ago, but when you look at churches, we were actually kind of early to the party. Even before that, we were ordaining women, and we were talking about urban issues, white and black churches. Now we are seen as one of the more ethnically diverse denominations in the country. Go us. My mom tells me stories of going to drinking fountains, and there was a white drinking fountain, and there was a colored, forgive the terms, drinking fountain. And my mom remembers the line for the white fountain was really long, and she was like, screw that. And she just drank at whatever fountain. And I would say to my mom, that's great, but can you imagine if a colored person had done that? That's privilege. We're a long ways away from the drinking fountains, the shackles and the whips on plantations. However, there's still racial graffiti at the high schools. We all could share stories this morning, probably, of our friends who have incurred racial slurs, heard friends tell jokes that are not appropriate. After the coronavirus took over, the way people talked about China and the Chinese as a mother of a Chinese little boy was not okay with me. Slaves. Do we have slaves today? I had an interesting conversation, actually, with a uh, sixth grader in my car the other day. Do we still have slaves? Yes, actually, we do still have slaves. They just take a different form. A podcast I listened to recently had one of the people went on a trip to Rwanda. And she was tweeting about it or something, and she had a ton of people say, oh, are you going there on a mission adventure? What organization are you going with? And she's like, I'm going to a resort, and I'm on vacation. And then she said, I'm at, like, the nicest resort I've ever been to. Previously, she had gone to India. I'm sorry, Italy. Nobody asked her what mission organization she was going with or how she was serving. And the conversation on the podcast said, there are probably more Christians in Rwanda than there are in Italy right now. But because of the color of people's skin, there were some assumptions made. We have a ways to go. Is that true? I think regardless of how you feel about what I have said this far, I think we could all agree we have a ways to go. Yes? And the feeling in the room right now is a little heavy because I think we all know that it's a problem. Maybe we don't want to talk about it anymore. Maybe we wish we could just get over it. But I think we can all agree that there is a problem. But do you know what I'm here to tell you today? There is always hope. Because God's love is relentless. And it never runs out. Even on white nationalists. On the racist of the racist people. God's love does not run out. And it doesn't run on, does not run out on us who want to make changes. We are alive at a special moment. At a unique moment in time. We have a special opportunity as part of a church, as part of Rosa Parks, 
Rosa Parks, to live differently. And as I look at mostly white faces out there, to live differently. As we pursue Jesus' mission, as we experience more of him and experience that love that is relentless towards me, I have way more to share with all you ridiculous people. The Great Commission promises, surely I will be with you until the end of the age. You got a Jewish friend right in your back pocket. Someone who is from the Middle East, in the flesh, you know what I'm saying? Jesus does not look like me. One of the ways that we want to work on this is by talking about this on Sunday mornings. We want to join God in how his will of one day every tongue and tribe and nation will become a beloved community. We're going to live like that way in eternity. Let's practice now. It took 15 votes for them to get a speaker of the Congress. No amount of riots or marches, votes in Congress, legislation can bring transformation, but we do need all of that because we live in a broken world that has the government. <laughs> all of that is sometimes necessary and is even righteous, but God. God has the will and the desire, and he has his people who are called to loving him. Jesus said, fear not, I have overcome the world. What can we do? Get the book. Read the book. Join a small group. If you're not in a small group, get into one. Say, hey, let's follow the sermon series and talk about this. Great conversations in the back. Next Monday is Reverend Dr. King's holiday. Don't just go skiing. Don't just sleep in. Maybe do something as a family. If you have kids, bring them somewhere. Do something intentional. Maybe it's regarding the African-American neighbors that we have. Maybe it's going to St. Peter and visiting the treaty site, walking downtown Mankato, learning about our native brothers and sisters that used to live on this land. Be intentional, and the book calls us to be courageous. I'm going to close with this quote, and I'll ask the worship team to come up. This is uh, Reverend Dr. King, 1957. This is what he says. Love is creative and redemptive. Sound familiar? Love builds up and unites. Oh, I'm just sorry. I'm asking Brian to come up next. Shoot. I so got into my message, I forgot we're doing something next. Forgive me. Everybody, just buckle up for an extra five today, okay? Love. Reverend Dr. King, okay? Love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. Does that sound like the Bible? He was rooted in scripture, you guys. It wasn't just the social gospel that he made up, okay? He was rooted in scripture. Love builds up and unites. Hates tearing down. I'm sorry, hate tears down and hate destroys. The aftermath of the fight with fire method, which others suggest, is just bitterness and chaos. The aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and creation of the beloved community. Physical force can repress, restrain, coerce, destroy, but it cannot create or organize anything permanent. Only love can do that. Yes, love, which means understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill, even for one's enemies. Love is the solution to the race problem. That is the beloved community that he was talking about, 
that I think, when we look at scripture, is what God is talking about. Amen?